Test, test, test. You give me a, 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 a shot. Hi. Shot. Okay. You know where to put your mouth on a microphone, right? Yeah, baby. I've been singing into a microphone since I was born because I made it on Broadway and you didn't. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> Remember that thing you, that dream you had? Oh my God. That got squashed and then I did it. Hi, Ellen Mars. Was that our cold open? That's our cold open. <laughs> Hi, Lamar. Hi, Patricia. You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, our first in-person recording of this podcast in a year. A year. Can you believe it? I mean, I can't because the, the squawking is yeah. real harsh today. <laughs> yeah, it's just coming at me. <laughs> it's real different from across the Hudson River to across the table in the booth. Huh? <laughs> yeah. A little different experience. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't know how good I had it. You guys, if you want more of this nonsense, join us on our Patreon. It's our drama club is what we call it. Get in the drama club, you guys. Every month you get three full bonus episodes. Hilarious stuff. We did Snapped. Right now we're moving on to See No Evil, which is like, you, what is it? It's, like it's a show about a murder, but they use all of the found like footage. Surveillance. It's yeah. like all surveillance footage that they just piece together to solve the crimes to get the bad guys. And like the reenactments are terrible. Horrible. They try to do acting. Absolutely. You gotta hear. Uh, absolutely <laughs> unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. But like perfect for us. Yep. You also get our Friday Night Live, which we do every Friday on our Instagram. We go live at 6 p.m., The Disappeared Pod. We give it to you on the Patreon as a bonus podcast Monday morning. Why not? What? <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want to tell them about, sis? Join us on our Facebook group. It's the Obsessive Disappeared podcast discussion group. Lots going on there. Lots of trolling. Yeah. You know, mostly trolling. I will say one time Ellen was trying to tell the Instagram and she said the Disappeared Pard. And somebody created a trolly, funny Instagram, Instagram account yeah. called the Disappeared Pard. I went and looked at it the other day. Shit's funny. So funny. <laughs> I, like, we genuinely don't deserve how funny our listeners are. <laughs> like, we're idiots. They're geniuses. Yeah. We are not. No. <laughs> All right, you guys, it disappeared. Season four, episode seven, I think. I forgot sure. to write it down. Let's go with it. Who, who knows? You know what's going to happen? What? Someone in the group will tell us. Don't, They're going to be like, didn't you mean? Right. We can't yeah. expect it to do everything. You no, know, my fingers had to do a lot of typing today. It's called A Father's Quest. It tells the disappearance of a young lady named Leah Peebles. By age 23, Leah Peebles had lived through more than her share of tragedy. Suddenly she started crying, and I just looked at her and I asked her, Leah, has anybody touched you like this? In high school, what starts as occasional drug use burgeons into full-fledged addiction. She rolled up her sleeves to reveal the track marks. She said, Daddy, I can't stop. In May of 2006, she moves from her parents' home in Fort Worth, Texas to Albuquerque, New Mexico to get a fresh start. She said she felt like going to Albuquerque would allow her to kind of escape. Leah is optimistic for the first time in years, but just three weeks later, she mysteriously disappears. She had made a phone call and said that something had happened. The police are dedicated to finding her, but it's Leah's father who ventures further than anyone else. I know nobody will look harder for Leah than I will. So we're starting, we are in Fort Worth, Texas, and we meet John Peebles, Leah's father, and we see a bunch of really beautiful pictures. How beautiful was she as a baby? Yeah, she was beautiful. I do have a question before we go any further. Sure. Isn't the Peebles, isn't that a musical family? The Peebles. Um, I know they make eyewear, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're right, but I mess everything up all the time. Yeah. yeah. Peebles Bryson? Peebles, that, that's a Peebo Bryson? Bro, Bryson. That's a, yeah. That's Someone, a, you know what? Someone's going to tell us. Someone's going to tell us. So this is how they begin, sadly, so often. And, you know, everyone is telling us she was a really fun kid. She had lots of personality. She was always dancing. But then, oh, guys, get ready to take yeah. it down real fast. Real fast. Four-year-old Leah is, like, sitting watching TV with her parents, and there's some special about, like, you know, identifying a kid who had been abused, like, sexually abused, and, you know, using the terms, like, the good touch and the bad touch. Four-year-old Leah loses her fucking shit. Yeah. We were watching a TV show. And uh, it was a documentary, and it was talking about kids being fondled. You know, they were talking about good touch and bad touch. And suddenly she started crying. And I just looked at her, and I asked her, I said, Leah, I, has anybody touched you like this? And, and she said, yes. You know, she started 
crying more. They they proceed to have like the most difficult conversation you can ever imagine. They found out that a distant family member who they deeply trusted and who molested Leah at about three or four years old. I gotta tell you, you guys, this is one of the realest episodes we've covered. Like, it starts here and it really doesn't get much better. I literally wrote, well, there's nothing fucking funny about this episode. I wrote, how are we gonna make this shit funny? That's what I wrote. Well, we get a little help from the parents in this moment. Yeah. Because as soon as I wrote, there's nothing funny here, the mom talks about how grateful they are that she didn't have any memories of being abused because they prayed it away. As far as I know, she didn't have any memories left because we had prayed that it, her memory would be taken away on that and that she wouldn't have any repercussions of it. I, I felt like after a few months that prayer was answered and she just pretty much went on her normal kid-like activities. Yeah, so that statement made me lose all control today. <laughs> you and called me and said, well, this is where we get canceled. Yep, this I, is I, where we absolutely I get canceled. I told Patrick today, I was like, it's yeah. been a fun, we've had a fun road. And, you know, they say the best apology is changed behavior. Yes. Well, nope, here I go, because I'm going to lose it. <laughs> So my apologies. Wait, you looked right at me yeah. when you said the best apology is changed with behavior. <laughs> no, my apologies up to this point have been, you know, problematic and unsubstantiated, but yeah. nope, absolutely not. Yeah. So my anger is equivalent to the white hot intensity of a thousand burning suns right now. Oh. Yeah, and I want to talk about this because I'm about to have kittens. Okay. Um so <laughs> Mama Sharon said that statement that she prayed that the memories would be taken away. And then John says, after a few months of prayers, their prayers have been answered. Again, I'm trying to stay really calm so you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And I have have said this before. I am not religious, but I respect everyone's right to worship, to pray, to have their own relationships with God— but you don't pray away sexual assault. You recognize it yeah. and you cope with that aftermath. And there are people who have suffered this type of trauma who have gone on to live happy and fulfilled lives. I'm not saying that you can't, but you need to tap into resources in order to help children. You have to. Yes. There are many things that won't help this situation and prayer is one of them. Right. I mean, and I understand if you're like praying together as a family could be one aspect of something to that cope, you do. Totally. To I totally get that. I mean, if that were the case, that praying things away, I would just pray over the pictures of all of my exes, right? <laughs> Be gone, evil one. Like, no. It doesn't. And while we're on the subject, you can't pray the gay away. And I would also like to point out that when I was a little kid, I remember, like, I would have been the opposite anyway. I would like, Jesus, make me gay. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, make me gay or I'm not gay enough. <laughs> I just think that praying away sexual trauma is naive it is ignorant and it's it's counterproductive it's also just... like not great parenting and we'll get back to it yes these, we will I wanna, get back to i it. will also say before we move on these parents have the best of intentions absolutely yeah. it's not that they don't love their child that's why i'm saying it's naive yeah that, after that line yeah. I, that's when i called you this morning yeah yeah and this dad really grows on me yes like, i yes. really was in the when we were talking about all the praying stuff i was like oh god here we go but you know what this dad really grows on me so leah grows up she goes into middle school. She does really great. She's super popular when she gets to high school. They really want us to know how cool she was. Yeah. And I went, okay, Jesus, we get it. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. I love that they're like, dear Jesus, please take away any memories of sexual assault and make her pretty and popular. Please. <laughs> Jesus was like, that, okay. that seems fair. <laughs> when we were in high school, Leah was a cheerleader and she was a good one. It fit her blonde haired, blue eyed personality. She loved theater. She had a big heart, huge heart. Very, very free-spirited. And we meet her friend Amber, and Amber's just telling us that, you know, Leah was a cheerleader, and she loved theater. Now, I do get the sense that it's not, like, the family being super religious and Jesus-y are the outsiders in this town. I get the sense the town's kind of Jesus-y. Yeah. And I was like, when they're talking about high school theater, I was like, sorry, girl, but this is definitely a high school where they do Godspell every year. Day by day. <laughs> day by day. <laughs> You got, please stop. Please stop. For me. I did a whole TikTok breaking down Godspell and I, I, and I equated it to rock bottom, which is which is what I feel right now. I also say we meet her brother Philip and he is very, very good looking. She was just like a normal girl. She liked to do girl stuff. She was just fun to be around. I just wrote 
okay? <laughs> Does anyone Poor... have eyes on Philip? <laughs> Philip does get sadder and sadder throughout this episode, and like rightfully so. Absolutely, but, but like, he starts I, at a two and just creeps down to I, a one, both at his energy and his intonation. He's got no diction whatsoever. He's got a mouthful of marbles at all times. Yeah, someone get eyes on Philip. Yeah, we see a series of picture of her doing everything from canoeing to climbing a tree. <laughs> they say she was very brave and bold and would try anything. Hold on to that thought. Yeah. To- <laughs> Why do kids want to climb trees? Yeah, I don't. Because yeah, guess what? What? How you gonna get down, Brian? <laughs> How you gonna get down? I'm not coming up the tree to come down the tree with your ass. So if you climb up the tree, you better hell and hell fury be able to climb on down. I. When I was like eight or nine, my mom's friend, their adult children had built a treehouse when they were kids. The treehouse still stood. I climbed the ladder into the treehouse. It was like probably 20 feet off the ground. Had to get down, sis. Yeah. Fire department to get me down. I wouldn't get back on the ladder. I was hysterical. They had to call the fire department. Do you see my face right now? Yeah. The the sheer lack of surprise on it is is astonishing, even to me. Honestly, (laughs) it's like, it's like nothing, nothing phases this face. You're like, when does the story get interesting? So one day in her freshman year, her mother says she notices a change. And again, we're taking it right back down. She says she like wasn't her cheery self anymore. It was she says mother's intuition, something was wrong. And Leah reveals to her parents that she was raped. Sharon spoke with her, and I was at work at the time, and uh, uh, Leah revealed that she had been raped. According to Leah, a male friend she had been hanging out with at the people's home three nights earlier had returned late that same night and knocked on her window. Not suspecting his intentions, Leah had let him in. In her own bed, in her home. Like, it was one of those things that it made me gasp for air. You know, there's like a reenactment and it's very like, it's not graphic reenactment. But like, this kid, like, what? There's so much I don't understand about this situation. I mean, you know, he was probably just sneaking in for like a makeout session. You know, Uh, they were like freshmen in high school. And yeah, and it's like, you know, you're being naughty and you're being silly. And he obviously, you know, took it too far, further than she wanted to. So they- I literally wrote, so hang on, the rest of this episode is about this kid's fucking murder, right? Yeah. How, did, how is this still about her when it should be about his fucking murder? Yeah. No, Where the hell is this kid? My rage continues to be unhealthy. <laughs> so they call the police and they set up a medical exam. And they did. And they realized there was trauma that she indeed had been raped, but there was no physical evidence. And then they went to the district attorney and the district attorney said, The lack of physical evidence, coupled with the fact that Leah had willingly let the boy in, leads the district attorney to discourage the peoples from taking the case to court. The juvenile system painted a picture that the court system would really drag her through the mud. We didn't want her to be devastated by it. In the end, the family decides not to press charges. They advised her not to press charges. They said, this is a quote, that the court system would drag her through the mud. So this is where my marbles, they just are on the floor for anybody to trip on. Very showgirls. Yeah. That's just stereotypical belief that women invite their own rapes and sexual assault. That needs to be erased from our vernacular. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so fucking what if she let him in? Like, again, maybe she wanted to, like, make out, but it's that whole mentality, well, she let him in, so she must have been asking for it. No, and... I mean this with the utmost of sincerity. Yeah. She fucking did not. No. I mean, absolutely not. And, like, you know, the things that, like, no one is saying is how, like, the idea that she went to the police and then the DA refuses yeah. to prosecute the case is not protecting her. That's making it so much fucking worse. And this is where, remember the whole pray away the trauma? Yeah. Pray away everything. Look, the dad really, like, really shows up at the end of this thing. Yes. But the family, like, they don't go for help. They don't seek help for her when, like, in, in helping her deal with her trauma and her pain. Because her behavior, of course, then completely goes off the rails. Of course. Again, I could talk, I, I could make a whole separate podcast about this. Yeah. But just that general idea that women are in any way responsible for the danger that they have to face from the choices that they made. Right. That's just reprehensible. Yes. And, so they don't press charges. Tell them what his punishment is. The accused boy moves to another school. But for Leah... Nothing is ever the same again. She's changed. Uh, 
It's really hard to describe, but she mentioned that her whole life that she had felt dirty once the rape happened. It's like it brought all these things back. Yeah, the kid gets moved to another school. He just gets moved yeah. to another but, school. But where he could just rape again? Like, this is the equivalent to, like, moving priests from parish to parish yeah. rather than holding them accountable for molesting little kids. Like, even if you can't prove rape, what it would have done to believe her, yes. tell her that you believe and her. And do something. And do some press Anything. fucking charges, even if you lose. You know, you have to do what Leah wants in this situation. But yes and no, she's still a child. She's yeah. 14 or 15 years old. And, I mean, they don't ever mention this boy again. He moves to another school and like of course they probably never mention it again and they take the high road and move. Guess what? My high road is under fucking construction. Okay? (laughs) I don't have a goddamn high road. If that were to, I would be in jail. I would be in jail for murder. I've told you a thousand times when you end up in jail I will race Lola until you get out. Yeah, and I mean listen, again, we're not coming down on the parents. The parents really do take a a little coming down on the parents. Get some therapy for your kid. Like that's the big missing piece here. Yeah, yeah, and just believe her. And you're yeah. you're absolutely right. They should have just said, thank you for that advice. Yeah. We're going to continue to press charges and see what fucking happens. Yeah. So, you know, she's a freshman in high school when this happens, and everyone is just saying, like, of course this brings back up the memories of the trauma from the molestation. No, wait, we prayed that away. <laughs> I literally wrote, of course this brings up memories of the molestation from her childhood because you can't pray that shit away, sis. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. (laughs) New information. I thought we prayed that shit away. Okay. As memories from the molestation in her early childhood begin to resurface, Leah throws herself into school and cheerleading for distraction, but she can't seem to regain her footing. Well, Leah was always a good student. Courses that she was taking that she would get easy A's in, you know, she was getting C's in. She lost interest in cheerleading and dropped out after her sophomore year. And they say, like, to cope, Leah throws herself into school. She's doing, you know, the fifth production of Godspell that year. (laughs) Day by day. Day by day. I gotta lighten the mood. Uh, I know, right? But she can't, like, they're saying she can't find her footing. She's in classes where she was getting easy A's and now she's getting C's. She loses interest in cheerleading. She drops out of it. Like, and her friend Amber is very concerned about her. Yeah, yeah. And mostly because her style and her hair changed. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of what being a teenager is, I Amber. Know. I understand your concern, but, right. you know, the, <laughs> then we learn that she starts turning to drugs and alcohol. Leah's parents had their suspicions that she had started to dabble in drugs. But one day toward the end of her junior year, their fears are confirmed. Leah had forgotten something that she was needing for school. And so um, I took it up to the school and I uh, looked in the classroom and she was out on her desk, you know, and was drooling. And I took her to the doctor, and the doctor had me take her immediately to the emergency room. Leah was laying on her desk, sort of drooling and, like, not responsive. In class! class. Which I'm sure the teacher was like, oh, that bitch is sleeping through class. But no, she had... I'm sorry. I don't know why you're giving... As a teacher, I don't know why you're giving that teacher a pass. Are you fucking kidding me? Please, did you not have some crappy, horrible teachers in high school that should not have been there? I did. It was 50-50. My whole thing with this is that Leah's mom runs into the classroom, takes her out, takes her to the hospital, where they tell her that Leah's on, like, a cocktail of, like, yeah. pills. Where'd she get the pills? Yeah. We don't know. But, like, the teacher, I mean, who the fuck is this teacher? This teacher needs to be fucking fired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the mother sees your her kid drooling. Yeah. And, like, unconscious, basically, face down on the fucking desk. Everybody is failing this kid. Everybody is failing her. Yeah, and so from that, she was hospitalized for a week. I mean, that's a lot. So she returns home after that week, and she's kind of just being, you know, really combative, really defensive. She wasn't doing well in school. She nearly didn't graduate. She graduates high school, stayed at home, and continued to be unmotivated, just, like, partying all night, sleeping all day. But this is where... I just have every other sentence is get her some help. Get her some help. No. Get her some help. Nobody says this, so I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's a religious thing that they don't do therapy or whatever. To me, that seems very clear. Yeah. And I don't understand why, like, how did the parents think it was going to go? Like, if you don't get her help and, like, give her the tools to fix herself, then of course she's going to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and I mean, the molestation, 
the rape, the drugs, the alcohol, the hospitalization. I mean, kind of, yes, you know they have her best interest at heart. No question they love her. But at some point, you have to sit down and have that, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, any questions. And like Only 90s kids will get that reference, by the way. But instead of getting her help, they make her get a job. Sure. And they get her a fucking job at a restaurant, which we go over this all the time. Restaurant culture, you don't know unless you've been in it. It's like putting the mice in charge of the cheese <laughs> you know it's all there it's all I know. easily accessible get her a job at a law office get her a job at the museum <laughs> why are you getting her a job at the bar with the oh, a, lo- a lovely library perhaps totally. so finally i don't know if it's like weeks and months and years of denial or what but finally one of leah's friends calls her parents and is like you guys this shit is serious yeah her parents get a call from one of leah's friends one of her friends told me that she was using the heroin pretty heavy. And um, I think her usage during that time was like about $80 a day. They basically said, she was like, what is she on, girl? And right. she's like, it's heroin, right. sis. To, to the tune of $80 a day, I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but you know what? It's more than zero. Well, first of all, Google is free, my friend. And also, <laughs> I'm sure one day the police are going to come banging down my door because somebody's going to see my search history. Oh, of course. You and GP are both getting arrested. I'm going to be in this by myself. But I Googled how much heroin costs. <laughs> how much does heroin cost? I didn't know. I had to check. Is that yeah. a lot or a little? You know, so, wait, is there like an online conversion calculator? Like you could be like, what is $2,000 in the year 1997 to now? Yeah, kind of. That's sort of what I did. So my, my research tells me that 0.1 grams of heroin bought on the streets would range about $15 to $20. So a very heavy heroin user habit could cost anywhere between $150 to $200 a day. Okay. And those are just estimates because obviously different places, different locations when they're cut with different things. So eighty dollars is is a pretty hefty heroin. Again, habit. I say anything more than zero is kind of hefty to me. It's heroin. We're not talking about like a wine cooler. You know what I mean? This is like a whore's worth of heroin. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, John and Sharon have to really have this difficult conversation, and they finally have sort of a small intervention about her drug use. And of course, at first she lies, and then she finally breaks down and admits her issues and her problems, and she rolls up her sleeves, and she shows her parents her arms. Yeah. She finally cried and broke down, and she rolled up her sleeves, you know, to reveal the track marks. And uh, she said, Daddy, I can't stop. She said, I can't stop. Yeah, but you know what? It's also really honest and brave. Like, yeah. Fucking yeah. good for her. A week later, they check her into a Christian-run residential drug detox facility. And yeah. I said, don't fuck me on this Christian drug rehab facility. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of praying the drugs away. Yeah. And she stayed for 18 months. Now, let me tell you. I said, go, Leah. That's fucking great. They breezed over that. Yeah. Like, I believe that there is no timeline for recovery, and I applaud her. I applaud her family. But they really breezed over yeah. 18 months. Yeah, she really needed it. I mean, heroin, like, getting off heroin, I would imagine, is very hard. Yeah, but I mean, like, they just said it like it was nothing. I was like, I know. Well, Christopher's like, Ellen, girl, we only have so much time. We got a lot to get Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're so dramatic. (laughs) I wanted him to be like, 18 months? (laughs) What? So she gets out. While she was in the Christian drug rehab facility, she got a degree in cosmetology, and everyone says she was great at it. She gets out, and she gets a job, like, doing hair at a local salon. She's doing great. She's spending time with her family. And then, of course, they say eventually she returned to her old habit. I think that Leo felt broken and being around people that she knew had gone through the same things that she'd been through were in the same place in her life made it easier for her. We started seeing some of the same signs from before. She had a little purse and Sharon found it in her room. And uh, she opened it up and she showed me and Sharon was just in tears. It was a bag full of needles and bloody tissues. Mama Sharon found Leah's purse in her room and opened it. And it was, oh God, it was full of needles and dirty, bloody tissues. (laughs) I know. Oh my God, it's so awful. And I mean that in the sense of like, I'm just so sad that she's going through this. No, she's not. She's sick. She's not well, you know? Yeah, so she goes back to the salon and she's happy, but she's still on drugs. She gets arrested again. She goes back to jail. Oh my God. And the salon has to let her go. And like, even the dad is like, they didn't want to let her go. 
Yeah, it seemed like they were like, oh, you just, when your hands are tied, like, what else could they do? They couldn't have, I mean. You know, and I wrote right here, I hope the fucking DA who told them not to take this rape case to trial is watching this episode. This is all a result of that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, we're at May 2006 at this point, and Leah decided that, you know, she was just in the same habits, the same routine, around the same people, and she needed a change. She needed a change of scenery. So, a family friend invited her to stay with them in Albuquerque, New Mexico. John makes the 10-hour drive to Albuquerque with his daughter. I mean, I went with her and I stayed there for a few days. We had a really great time together. Those three days, the trip out to Albuquerque and everything was three of the best days I'd had in years with her. Feeling connected to his daughter for the first time in ages, it's hard for John to tear himself away and go home to Fort Worth. The dad gets her a car. He gets her a Volkswagen Beetle. And they drive to Albuquerque together. And we see a reenactment. They drove home <laughs> to get to Albuquerque. <laughs> you just sang that in the studio for the first time. Oh, so that sounded fun. really good. <laughs> but we do see the in the reenactment, we see the dad and Leah really jamming out. I know. And I was like, you know what song it had to have been? Because it's the best jam song in the fucking world. Now I'm free. <laughs> The cranberry song. Whatever just came out of your mouth is unrecognizable to my ears. I have no idea what song you were singing. You could lay down a bucket of cash right now, and I could not identify. You strung no melody together in any kind of sequence. Uh-huh. uh-huh. What's the name of that song, Jennifer, can you play that part of it? Sweetheart, sweetheart, sweetheart. Yeah. I love you so much. I would give you any organ you needed at any time. I'm going to beg you to stop singing. I'm going to ask you nicely. I'm going to use my indoor voice. Okay, great. Don't ever do that again. But they get to Albuquerque, and he stays for a couple days, and then he's got to go, and, like, Leah drives him to the airport. And this is when he starts to change for me. Yes. Because he says the words that, like, every, honestly, every gay kid of a religious family wants to hear. When he's like, I love you no matter what. If you ever need anything, you call me. And she says, you don't want to know. You won't want to know. And he says, I do want to know. I accept you. Yeah. You know, like, those words are really powerful. Absolutely. Especially from, like, in a religious home, those words are really, really powerful. Absolutely. So we have another moment with Dad John, who's like, you know, I got her a, a Volkswagen Beetle. She really loved that car. Leah's father had bought her a Volkswagen Beetle to get around town and leaves enough pocket money with the family Leah is staying with to ensure her needs are met for at least a couple of months. She was so fond of that car. She really did like it. It was, it was a real chick car. I mean, you know, they're the cute Beetle, you know. It's a chick car. Yeah, I mean, I got- say though in 2006 yeah. that car was the tits it's true <laughs> it really was i mean like you wanted a volkswagen yeah. i mean anywhere circa 1999 till 2006 that was a great car Yeah, to, to, to quote my friend ellen the tits <laughs> And we learn that he gives the family that she's staying with enough money for her to get her through, like, several months. Right. So, like, you know, and, and so put a pin in that, because guess what? Yeah. Doesn't last that long. Doesn't that long. Then we learn that after a week, Leah gets a job waitressing at a popular cafe. Nope. And I said, no. Nope. Now, I will say, I worked with a bartender at my fancy restaurant job who was a recovering alcoholic. He'd yeah. been in recovery for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it was not an issue for him. Yeah. Was, so I'm not saying people who are in recovery can't work in, right? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just no. Saying, like, people who are struggling with yes, their sobriety exactly. probably should be working it is in just, Yeah, it's just all over. And the culture, we've talked about restaurant culture. You know, when you work and you're tired and you sit down for a couple of drinks, we've talked about it a million times. Yeah. So two weeks after getting there, she calls her dad to wish him a happy birthday. And ask for some money. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and he kind of, like, sneaky snake snuck it in. He's like, and she was a couple days late. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, if you're going to ask for money, you got to 
really be, you got to hit the nail on the head. You got to be central with that date. Call him on his birthday, sis. That's right. She said she needed money for a, a uniform, needed $50. And I said, well, honey, I'm sorry. I'm kind of running short this week. I said, but I'll, I'll do what I can. I said, what happened to the money I left? I said, because I left plenty of money. And at that point, she said, well, I, I just, I'm sorry. It's cost a lot to go out and look for jobs. You know, could you help me? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the last bit of cash I have in my pocket. I'll drop it in an envelope and mail it today. So it's really sad because the dad's like, well, what about all the money that, like, it's a week since he yeah. left. Like, that money was supposed to get you through months. And she's like, yeah, it, uh. Turns it, out it didn't. It didn't, actually. Yeah. And she's asking for, like, $50 for a uniform. And he's like, well, I'm kind of short on cash. Like, I have been in this moment with an addict. I have been in this moment where they're asking for money and they're pretending it's for something else and you're pretending it's for something else. Right. But you don't want to get, like, that is a really fucking terrible moment. And it's just very sad. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not going great for Leah. Yeah. So we're at May 23rd, 2006. We're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the Peebles get a call from Todd and Ashley Warren. And that's the family that Leah was staying with in yeah. Albuquerque. And she said she got this really weird message, voicemail from Leah, that said she was going out with a friend. And she said, some things happened. And I was like, well, what? But, like, Ashley Warren is saying, like, yeah, she said something happened and she would call me later and fill me in but it's been like 24 hours yeah so and she's not home so what do we do what do we do it was like cryptic and weird and like kind of like inconclusive it was just like a cliffhanger so they waited 24 hours the next day they're calling her phone no answer no answer two days later they finally call the police and file a missing persons report and this is where we meet ida lopez who's a detective in albuquerque i love her when leah did come to albuquerque she had just been released from jail a little over a month um, and the drugs that she was on, I mean, it's very hard within a month to just detox or be clean from them. I mean, it's not very hard to find, you know, the drug dealer scene. Ida is telling us, like, yeah, we understand that she was an addict, that she is an addict. And I got to tell you, sis, like, it's not very hard to find the drug dealer scene yeah. in this town. Like, we've all seen Breaking Bad. <laughs> we know what Albuquerque's like. Ooh, we're going to get there. Yeah. And so <laughs> the Peebles double down and they're like, you know what we're going to get? We're going to get her phone records. Yeah. And they do. And they start calling everyone, everyone that she's been in contact with. They have a lot of calls. And the mom was like, it's like 170 calls in just a few days. I was like, okay. Wait, yeah. You don't need to judge how many times maybe some of us talk on the phone a little more than others. And, like, I think there's also a little confusion. Like, it's not 170 people. It's right. 170 calls. Right. You and know? so they see a number over and over again. And so they call that number. Oh, and well, that's the, a lot. Pull, you don't pull over. Yeah. If we hadn't already, you know what? If you're not already pulled over, I'm going to say. Yeah, I can't believe, actually, we didn't tell them to pull over at the sexual assault monologue. I know. Give your kids a screen. Shoot. Pop a wine yeah. cooler. The rest of this doesn't go down so easy. So the woman that they connected to on the phone said, yeah, I don't know Leah, but I think my cousin took her out on a date. Yeah. So, like, the parents are calling this random lady who's like, I don't know her, but my cousin does. Right. Which is like, think about how shady that is. Yeah. In order for Leah to get to this guy, she's got to call the cousin. So, they tracked the guy down, and, like, Leah had told the Warrens, the people she's staying with, oh, we met at the cafe, we're going out on a date. This guy says, no, we met at a seedy hotel on the outskirts. Motel. Motel. Let me correct. Yes. That is a A very very important distinction. Yeah. Motel. They meet at a very seedy motel on the outskirts of town. And I think the guy was implying that they were meeting for, like, sex work. You know, the dad doesn't stray away from this kind of no. language later. So I was, it sounded like he said something to the effect of, I really enjoyed her while I had her. Oh, my God. And the dad God. hears this. And I was like, well, that's not going to go down well. No. <laughs> not in that household. <laughs> and, like, you know, they probably didn't have a lot of sex talks in their house. No. You know what I mean? Oh, so my God. Even no, hearing no. that she had had sex, which apparently this guy made no bones about spilling to the dad, it did seem like a sex work kind of relationship. Exactly. And the mom is saying, like, not only did the phone company give us her phone records, they gave us access to her voicemails. Very helpful phone company. I know. I was like, I've actually never heard I of know. that. Sandra down at Pacific Bell was like, in another, would you like her passwords as yeah, well? <laughs> no. Like, I also have her diary from the <laughs> fifth and sixth grades. Yes, I would like to take a gander <laughs> at so that. Much. Thank you, Brenda. 
So they say that they hear a voicemail from a guy and they learn through this voicemail that she had been in a car accident and her car is in some like mechanic's garage somewhere. And this mechanic is trying to get a hold of her and being like, girl, I fixed your car. Yeah. Like, do you want this shit back or not? Yeah. Leah had dropped off her car at a transmission shop in the southeast area of Albuquerque. This area is known for high drug activity and prostitution. Um, and this particular transmission shop had been there for many years. The mechanic who was interviewed at the time stated that it appeared that she had driven over a median um, and she appeared high at the time when she dropped the car off. And he thought that maybe she might be working the streets in the area. Yeah, and he also says that, like, she looked like she was, quote, working the streets in the area. And all of that aside, the wig that they have on the reenactment actress playing her is unforgivable. What is going on? Do they have, like, costumes people on sets like this? No, it seems like she honestly went to, like, that spirit Halloween store that pops up every year around, like, August and got an ugly redheaded wig. (laughs) It's unacceptable, ID. ID. Everyone turn off the podcast. This is a message just for ID. If this is ID. You can keep on listening. Everybody else go away. That wig was unacceptable. (laughs) You need to do better, ID. You need to do better. So it's four weeks past when she went missing. There's no leads. This is when John, the dad, goes to Albuquerque. And I wrote, I made a note that, like, we are learning all this, like, horrible, sad stuff about how, like, she's working the street. And we learn that he goes to Albuquerque and they really change too quickly to this fun, uplifting music. And I was like, what? Disappeared. I really was not ready for that transition. (laughs) It was a little jarring. (laughs) Well, they were like, this is getting dark. Let's let's change it a bit. So John goes to examine the car. Like, the car is now parked in the driveway of the house where she was staying. And he says that, like, the car was not drivable. There was a little bit of blood in the car. He then goes down to talk to the mechanic. The mechanic was super straightforward with him. Yeah, a little too much. A little uncomfortably straightforward. Tell me what he said. He said, I've seen her behind the video store. Then he's like... That's where my friends tell me they go to pick up sex workers. And I went, my friends. My friends. Sure, mechanic. Like like your girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> right. She's, she's in Canada this month. But he said that actually my friends have done, I think he said business with her. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. Now, you know, but- it's two things are great here. And really nothing else. Everything yeah. else is terrible. Yeah. But, like, it's great that this guy is being so direct. And it's also great that John the dad is able to hear it. Yes. And take the information. Like, John the dad is like Fred Murray all over again. He's pounding the pavement. Oh, my God, yeah. no stone unturned. He's finding his daughter. And, like, I honestly thought this should be a movie because, like, this, like, really religious Christian dad, he gets really embedded in this other world. That he does not understand. He's probably never encountered. He is from, you know, Fort Worth, Texas, a Christian man. He has not dealt with these dangerous areas. It was a dangerous area. And he seems to not have any judgment about it. He just wants to find his fucking kid. Yeah. Which is, like, it really was surprising and very cool to me. All of a sudden, John is our down bitch. I know. He just, he flips from way too Christian father who's like, you know, denying all these things to just really pulling up his sleeves and jumping in. So he's like, you saw her at the video store? Great. I'm going to the video store. And like, we're not talking like the blockbuster. He's like going behind the local video store where the sex work happens. And John, we're going to learn, John has no problems talking to anyone. No, right? He will sit you down and be like, can I have a conversation with you? Yeah. So he is in down bitch mode. He has made a 180. So he asks the workers of the video store if they've seen her. And they're like, yes, actually, we've seen her. We've asked her to leave. She's been loitering around here. And also, she doesn't look great, sis. Yeah. And like, how awful is that to be the dad and be like, I just missed her. I just missed her by like a couple of weeks, you know? So he goes to some adult clubs around the area and a couple people identified her. And they're like, yeah, no, we definitely know that girl. What's her name? I went around town uh, looking at at some of the adult clubs. The very first club I went to, a dancer there told me that her picture was very familiar to her and that she used the name Maya when she was trying to get work there. And she said, I never saw her again after that, but she was here. And so that's my first clue that that may be her street name. 
Dombich John has gotten real wise. He got hip real quick. Yeah. And then he says, I slowly began to realize that Maya might have been her street name. Right. I was like, go off, John. All right. I have a note. This dad is fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't care if he goes home and prays for my soul every night. I really fucking love this dad. So him along with Detective Ida, they were hitting the streets and they went, like, Ida's, a, she's pretty down bitchy. She goes to some homeless shelters. Yes. She goes to needle exchanges. Yes. Like, she is not messing around. She's like, this is a person with a problem. Let me go to where people of this nature go to seek help. So this is where down bitch Ida kind of like, what? With an apostrophe S's me. Right. She's in traffic one day. It's August 2006. It's two months after Leah went missing. I was driving in the valley when I saw this very pretty girl, but she looked like maybe she was maybe on drugs or alcohol. I don't know. She just kind of struck me that she wasn't from here. So I called the Department of Corrections, um, Tarrant County in Texas, and I asked them if they had any booking pictures of Leah and if they can send me anything that they had. And so she calls, like, the local precinct, and she's like, do you have any booking photos of this Leah girl? They're like, yeah. That's- the photos are from, like, many, many years. They're yes, like, do you want right. her 2003 photos <laughs> or 2004? Her, her, in, in 2005, she had red hair. Yeah, but right. I, like, And these are mug shots, you guys. This yeah. is how many times Leah's been arrested since being in Albuquerque. So she's like, I'm pretty sure that's her. Let me now not go talk to her. Let me, like, get my way, wend my way out of this traffic and see if I can go back and fucking find her. And I was like, what? Ida! Like, if you think that you've seen the missing girl, you throw that shit in park and you run over and you get her. People will understand. I mean, the traffic in Albuquerque is awful. (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. And she never sees this girl again. She literally thinks that she sees her. I don't think it was her. I know. I don't think it was her. So the on-screen text tells us it's Labor Day 2006. What What? is Labor Day? I am so glad you said that. that. I was like, why don't you just say flag day? I know, I I know. know. What what are, you guys know I don't know days. Oh my God. I don't plan my holidays. I only know the holidays by what candy is at the Target. I gotta tell you, because I'm like, Christopher, you're not even gonna give us a, you expect us to know Labor Day? Look, we know on Disappeared, President's Day is a really fucking big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. (laughs) People fucking love President's Day. (laughs) I love it. But what is it? I mean, it's one of the two. Is it the start to summer or the end of summer? I know it's one or the other and I bet you didn't look it up did you because neither did I no because <laughs> I, I don't know. Ca- I'm mad I, I don't, wa- don't want to do extra work when I'm mad so it was two months after the dad made his first trip to Albuquerque sure he's back and he's back to keep looking and he's saying whereas like the first trip was like red hot and he got a lot of leads yeah this one this trip's not going as well and after nine days he's about to go home and we learn that he's staying at one of the like low rent motels where Leah his daughter he had heard like she had been doing sex work at this motel yeah and that's why he stayed now, there I, I get it I, I know he was sort of like trying to like ingrain himself in like that atmosphere but yeah. I mean, there, there's DNA on the sheets in those places. Yeah, I mean, you can spend time there, but still stay at the Hilton. Yeah, you know what I you mean. You know, a sensible Holiday Inn yeah. Express. Sure, Absolutely. you know what I mean. Something Absolutely. with a continental breakfast. Yeah. Then, as he starts to walk out of his room at a motel where Leah was known to stay, a woman approaches him. This lady ran up to the car wanting my business, and uh, I said, "No, I'm not here for that." I said, "But here's what I'm here for," and I showed a picture of Leah to her. So he's like, I don't want to pay you for sex, but would you look at this picture of my daughter and tell me if you know her? This lady is, like, all too happy to help. She's like, oh, I know her. The dad says that, like, upon seeing the picture, she actually sort of recoils in, in like, a... It made me think that, like, this lady knows what happened to yeah, her. Yeah, or knew, or knew more than an average person. And uh, this lady had actually called over another prostitute and showed her the picture. And she says, yeah, that's Maya. She was here a week ago. Leah's father feels closer than ever to finding her, though he could never have imagined the dark and sordid path these women are about to lead him down. The whole prostitution scene was a real eye-opener for me, and especially around the truck stops. The dad also says at this point, after like getting all this really useful help from the sex workers, he goes, the whole prostitution scene was a real eye-opener for me. <laughs> I mean, out of context, that yeah. could be taken so many ways. <laughs> 
So the dad is staying for a while, and this is where we take a major left turn. Because the dad is told that Leah has been working for this pimp at a local truck stop. And and he tells the police, and he's like, we need to stake out this truck stop. This is where she is. And he does keep seeing a particular man hey, over... what? He fucking stakes out the truck stop? Like, we need to... Can we pause on that for a second? I know, because okay. he keeps seeing the same man over and over again. I'm just saying, like, he actually does it. Like, this is a real dangerous situation. By me saying okay. he continues to see the same man over and over again yeah. would indicate uh, that he indeed went to that truck stop and laid eyes on said pimp. I'm not saying that you didn't know that it happened. You just, you weren't making a big enough deal out of it for my liking. For my liking. Day by day. <laughs> about it? I'm just saying it's a big deal that Dad stakes out a truck stop. I suddenly noticed uh, this guy. John continues to see the man show up at the stop and is able to confirm that he is the pimp that Leah has allegedly been working for. And not only does he seem to be trading in girls, he's also trading in drugs. So this is a little scary. John the dad tries to get in touch with the pimp through some other sex workers to try and get a message to Leah. Yeah. And all he wants to say is, I have your car. We can talk about this. So he's kind of using any means necessary in order to get a hold of her. But it's a little scary. It's really scary. And, like, as soon as he does that, like, he said, like, you get the sense that he, like, has a good relationship with these other women, the other sex workers, who are, like, he's being nice to them they're being nice to him they want to help him but then once he tries to get a message to Leah through the pimp everything shuts down the the pimp shuts everything down and everyone was just sort of on to him in a really weird way and he was his life was threatened but then we also cut to Ida who also like was staking out in her own like actual police way staking out the truck stop and she's like for the record there's no evidence Leah was ever here I spent a lot of time sitting in parking lots at the truck stop that motel along with a couple others that are in the area and nobody else could ever confirm that she had in fact ever been there kind of no bullshit she's like she's a little quiet but she's definitely no bullshit yeah it's kind of like i don't in fact there's no evidence leah was in albuquerque beyond the day she dropped the car off at the mechanic i mean other than everybody kind of identifying her and being like yeah i know maya i know maya i mean yeah it's it's all really hard so back at home sharon the mother sharon gets a call that leah was on a truck that was headed for vegas but like everyone sort of seems to what's happening is that all the the sex workers and the pimp are trying to get john the dad to leave albuquerque and they're sort of saying that like we didn't really believe that lead because it sort of seemed like it was just another attempt to get rid of him yeah but it all comes to nothing they don't find her they don't you know there's like sort of nothing of her for three years and all of a sudden it's February 3rd 2009 and we're in Albuquerque and there's a lady walking her dog on the outskirts of the city and she finds a human femur I'm assuming not identified by her yeah I'm assuming she found a bone yeah that turned out to be a femur yeah like Oh, looks like a femur. Right. <laughs> no, no. She was like, oh my God, that's yeah. a scary fucking bone. <laughs> now you're talking yeah. like me. Exactly, see? So she finds a human femur sticking out of the sand, and the cops are saying, like, they go to dig it up, they find three more bodies, which eventually turns into 11 bodies 11 found. bodies. Over the past three days, investigators have found three more bodies, one of them a pregnant woman in her first trimester. So hear me now. Yeah. If you are listening and you live in either Albuquerque or San Bernardino, yeah. I'm going to need you to hop on Zillow and move, <laughs> my friends. Get the fuck out of that town. It's not safe, you guys. The whole question is, is Leah one of these 11 bodies that they've discovered in the desert? And, you know, the last woman buried here was in 2005, which was a year before Leah went missing. So very unlikely that she would be there. They submit a DNA sample anyway. And it turns out that it's not her. And like Christopher says, investigators believe this is the work of a serial killer, but there's no suspects to this day. And I said, can we get on that maybe? Yeah. Could we look a little more into that, do you think, Christopher? Each woman was was slowly identified, and they were all sadly sex workers. And, you know, Leah was not there. You no. know, they turned in all the DNA that they could, and she was not there. And, you know, it is still an active case, and her parents were pleading for her to come home. And to your point, Dad the John has basically— Did you say Dad the John? Yep, I did. <laughs> I did. John the Dad—see, this is what happens when I, I get out of my routine. I John B. 
basically <laughs> devotes his life to finding his daughter. He goes around New Mexico. He follows every lead in Vegas. He devotes every ounce of free time, his vacation, his sick leave, yeah. everything to finding, you know, his daughter. It's very, very Fred Murray. Are there any updates? Is there anything? No, there are no updates. But Ida was really adamant that this is still an open case. They have not found Leah. And, you know, the parents just plead for her to come home. So at any rate, it is still an open case if anyone has any information on Leah Peoples. But I do want to give this number. Um, and it's for Rain for the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It is free. It is confidential. It is 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 4673. And you can be connected with trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. And, you know... I also just want to say, if you if you know or love someone who's been sexually assaulted, you know, that healing process is ongoing. And, you know, just to be as supportive as you can. And I do think exactly what you said before, it all goes back to that young, young trauma that was never dealt with. And that just, you know, that breaks my heart. You know, those parents love their daughters, but sometimes, you know, loving isn't enough. You have to, like, see someone and you yeah, have to, like, see their pain. Get you know help for I mean? your kids, people. Bottom line, get help for your goddamn kids when they suffer trauma. Do you want to say something funny yeah day by day that causes me trauma (laughs) that causes me trauma Season 4, episode something. Episode whatever. We don't know. We don't even know anymore. <laughs> you guys, if you want more of these shenanigans, join us on the Patreon. We call it the Drama Club. Get in there every month. You get three full bonus episodes. You guys, there's ten episodes of Snapped, and now we're, we're moving on to See No Evil. It's so funny. I think it's our work there is very good. And once a month, we play trivia. Yes! It is so fun. We have ten live contestants every month. We also have an at-home option. You can play. You can turn off your camera you can be pantsless if you want yes it's so much fun that's available to everyone in the drama club we play the first friday of every month yeah we're playing tonight and that at-home version is really fun you guys like you actually like pick your answers and you get real winners and it's all on the computer it's like really 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 cool and you can follow us on our socials we're at the disappeared pod on instagram what are we on twitter we are something on twitter who knows we're We're also on twitter you're at patrick Hines underscore i'm at ellen marsh ellen marie marsh if you want to find me on tiktok don't make the face <laughs> All right, we love you guys. Love you. Bye. And Papa John, Papa John. No, I, I can't say Papa John. That sounds that sounds like that sounds like a piece of Father John? Just no, say Father the, John sounds like a priest. And that sounds even creepier. Um that just sounds say dirty. The dad? Daddy John? Nope. Nope. No. Nope. Dirty John. John. We're calling him John. We're calling him John today. Watching you work through that meal yeah. time was a yeah, real was like, experience. Papa John, I'm starving. I actually am starving right now. And he's like, hey, girl, it's been a minute since somebody wanted you business, huh? <laughs> I, uh-huh. I could and would kill you with my bare hands and then testify in court how yeah. you lit up a room. That's, that's uh-huh. how incensed you make me. <laughs> Oh, my God. I've been working out with a trainer, as you all know. My newly discovered abs are killing me right now. (laughs) Newly discovered. Christopher Columbus over here. So, this... This guy's like, yeah, nah. That's not what actually happened. We met at a... I'm starting to talk like you now. (laughs) Yeah, nah. 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 That's that's honestly the gift that keeps on giving when you start talking like me. (laughs) 